0: welcome back to the whole person podcast i am your host evan herman and today instead of doing an interview it's just going to be you and me and the subject matter that we're going to be going through is called the beatitudes which is found in matthew 5. through this process we will find attributes of christ that we can take upon in and of ourselves for daily Christian living. And then we'll discuss the importance of each one of those attitudes. So first off, I just want to start by reading the Beatitudes. And this is a sermon that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger after Christ, for righteousness they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lastly, blessed are those when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they have persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we think of that list, when we think of meekness, we think of weakness. When we think of purity, we think of trying not to sin. Ironically as we read or at least when I read through it, I often think of the inverse and in the things that I am doing wrong. But I want us to focus on the core of the characteristics that it's trying to explain to us. So let's start off let's start off with the first beatitude. Blessed is the poor in spirit For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I think through this process, we put our hope, our trust, our anticipation on all these things within the world that we can achieve, get, claim success of, our status. But those that are poor in spirit don't necessarily mean that they are completely impoverished, but they have a humility about their life that their success isn't determined by their earthly goods, but that of which that they have stored up in heaven in the character and nature in their relationship and identity through Jesus Christ. When we take on the characteristic of being poor in spirit, doesn't necessarily mean you have to be impoverished. But when you have a life lived in humility, what it allows us is for our hearts to be open and receptive to the nature of God. Whether you have great riches or you have little, the poor in spirit is a posture of your heart. It is not specifically a status that you have based upon worldly possessions. You realize that your treasure, that your possessions is an eternal process. It's not just the here and now, but it's what awaits for the believer to come through that relationship with Jesus Christ when we receive our inheritance of eternal life and salvation. When, when you look at the second beatitude, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I love that scripture, because as you and I hunger and thirst for righteousness, the promise of that desire is that we will be satisfied. can I be honest, there are many times in my life where I don't feel satisfied. So how is the satisfaction the reward if we desire? And what I realize is I often have the desire in theory, but in application, I lack the discipline. And so how do we have the desire for righteousness the desire for consecration the desire for holiness meets application and receives fulfillment and satisfaction and i think it comes to the the pursuit of holiness and righteousness isn't based on looking at trying to stop sinning it's actually like desire it's not based off of stop sinning but it's based on the desire to keep focused on his holiness his righteousness and his purposes here in the earth or that he's put on our lives so instead of focusing on the sin because what you focus on expands you focus on his righteousness and his holiness and his purposes and when you focus on those things that will tend to expand in your life and then we have the issue of condemnation and guilt if we do fall and so what i would encourage you is in this process of continued sanctification that if you do fall stumble in sin that you don't condemn or shame yourself but you allow the holy spirit to have his perfect work of grace love mercy and forgiveness in your life go confess your sin to another believer that you trust so that you will be forgiven and that through that process that forgiveness aspect is actually of your own forgiveness that you forgive yourself as well, because Christ is already forgiving you because he's died on the cross. But when we walk past the forgiveness of ourselves, we can walk into repentance. When we walk into repentance, we have truly achieved, even though it's a continual moving line, A part of consecration a part of sanctification I always say consecration sanctification it's a three-part process I have been sanctified I'm currently being sanctified and I will be sanctified I'm currently sanctified because Christ died on the cross for me and rose again and he forgave me of my sins I'm currently being sanctified because I'm continuing to be renewed into his likeness on a daily basis as I surrender my heart, my will, my passions, my desires unto Him and I look upon His holiness and His righteousness to transform my life. That is an ongoing process. And then the third part of sanctification is that it will happen, which is when this mortal body dies and I step into eternal life, at that point I will have walked into the completeness of sanctification because my flesh is gone and my spirit is alive and I've walked back into a full union with Christ without mortal sin from that point forward so there's three parts to sanctification past present and future let's look at another beatitude blessed are those who are merciful so they shall be shown mercy from God when you show mercy to others, you are living out the heart of God because you are loving others the way that He loves you. When you show mercy to others, that is an open door for God to show mercy to you. When you withhold mercy from others, sometimes, depending on the situation, I believe that God might withhold mercy on us because he talks about there's a law of sowing and reaping and if we sow unjustly we will receive unjustly. So when he commands us to sow mercy, we will also receive mercy from him. Regarding showing mercy, there's a scripture in Matthew 6:14 through 15 that says, and this is Jesus speaking, if you forgive others of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. When you forgive someone, you are opening the gateway for God to forgive you. Forgiveness is reciprocal. And maybe sometimes you might need to forgive a father, a mother, a minister, a friend, a teacher, whoever it is. Or however they wronged you. Forgiveness doesn't mean that what they did is okay. But what forgiveness does, it allows you to move past bitterness, anger, and resentment into mercy. And when you allow yourself to have the perspective and the mind shift of mercy, then you actually open the door for you to receive mercy in your own life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One of the amazing promises from that is that those who are pure in heart, the reward is you will see God. So how do we have purity of heart? Does it mean you don't have sexual sin? Does it mean that you don't lie? Does it mean that you don't cheat or steal or... You just try to live a perfect sinless life. Because the reality is, we all have issues. So how do we live a pure heart? How do we live a pure life? I think of David in the Bible, and God called him a man after his own heart. But yet David was a murderer, adulterer, then killed the husband of the wife that he had sex with. His heart, when he sinned, was grieved, and he always went to God when he sinned. And through that process of renewing and repentance, his heart was always moldable, always bendable. It never became hardened. Let's look at Saul. Saul, by all accounts, was a better man than David, who did less sin. But what we see in Scripture is that God says he hated Saul but David he loved. The difference is that the purity of heart was in his heart to be open to God in the transformation done in that relationship rather than all the kingdoms that he had, all the possessions, all the evil desires, all the sin. His desire for David was to honor God. Saul's desire wasn't to honor God. So, at the end of the day, purity of heart is about this desire to honor God and to move from transgression to transformation, and from that transformation, live through that redemption. Right now, we have a big cultural war going on politically in our country, of the United States. But even globally, we see a lot of communist, socialists, capitalism, Democrat, Republican, all different parties at war with each other. In reality, what is happening is, it's not just what we see, but there's a spiritual aspect to conflict. And it is against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness that is waging war against the spirit of holiness and righteousness and the holy spirit himself and god the father and jesus the son there are tons of spiritual things at play going on that we can't see in our environment scripture calls you and i as christians in matthew five ten through 12 it says blessed are those in matthew 5 it says blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. There's a time in life to stand up and fight for what we need to fight for in terms of freedoms, in terms of on behalf of other people. And there's also a time to allow God to fight your battles. And the difference between knowing when to take action and when not to take action is being led by the Spirit of God. I remember one time in my life, I was working at a hardware store called Ace Hardware, and one of the managers was an absolute horn dog. And I had a very attractive customer walk into the store, and I approached her as normal. I say, hey, how can I help you? What can I help you find today? And she said to me, I'm in a really bad mood, and I just need to spend money to make myself feel better. And I said, well, ma'am, you're not going to spend money to make yourself feel better. It's only temporary. So tell me what's going on. And she proceeded to tell me that she found out that her husband had recently cheated on her with her best friend. And so I was talking to her, ministering, praying. And then this horn dog manager came over, and I knew what he's going to do. He's going to try to interrupt the conversation so that he could help her because he was attracted to her, and then. I don't know, ask for her number or something. And he comes over and he goes, hey, how can I help you? And I said, it's okay. I got it. And he didn't like that, but he walked away. I continued to minister to her. That ended. And man, he was so mad at me. He threatened to write me up. He was going to get me fired. And this manager's been lying about me to other managers and to our overhead uh, store manager. And... I walked home that day, and I said, oh, "Sweetheart, I don't think I'm going to have a job tomorrow. I think I'm going to be written up and fired because of this is the scenario that happened." And he is attacking me, and I think this will be my third strike that he made up to get me fired. So we just prayed, and we just asked God to fight my battle. And that that was the thing is through that process, I just felt like I wasn't supposed to do anything and trust God. And so my wife prayed that God would shake him. I walked back into the store the next day and I don't even clock in yet and he calls me to the office and I'm thinking, all right, here I go, I'm gonna get fired. He goes, Evan, keep in mind, he's not a Christian. He goes, Evan, I gotta talk to you. And I okay, what's up? And he goes, so last night I had a dream and in the dream God spoke to me and he said, if I keep messing with you, something bad's gonna happen to me. So I'm sorry, he asked me to forgive him. And he was really cool to me for about another month and then he proceeded to be mean again but I realized that God fought my battles for me in that scenario and he asked me not to fight there are moments of life where he's gonna ask you to fight and there's gonna be moments of life that you trust him to fight on your behalf and we need to discern those differences but through it all regardless of whether we're fighting or we're surrendered in the process of letting God to defend us, we still need to be peacemakers in every area of our life. Even when we're in battle, we're in battle for peace. When we allow God to move on our behalf, when we're not doing anything and trust that he's defending us, we're allowing his work, we're wanting peace to take place. If you have ill relationships with someone, go amend those relationships. One of the best examples of this is we see in 1 Corinthians eleven, twenty-seven through 32, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let the person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks of judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, he would not then be judged. In other scriptures it talks about if you have unforgiveness towards another, put the sacraments down, Go reconcile with that brother or sister. Then come back and then take the sacraments. God has called us to live in peace. Because when we live in peace, then we can have true, effective communion with him. Lastly, in the Beatitudes, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness or for my sake, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those who are persecuted because they walk in the way of righteousness and in relationship with the Lord, the inheritance of that persecution is that the kingdom of God is theirs. So it's not just us who receive salvation, get to live in the kingdom of God, but there's an inheritance above that when we are persecuted and we walk in the way of righteousness, that there's even a greater inheritance on top of just salvation. Yes, we receive salvation by accepting Jesus Christ, but the inheritance of the kingdom is moving forward in the idea our reward of her righteousness isn't just salvation, but it's the inheritance of the kingdom of God. And I don't know theoretically what this looks like because we haven't fully experienced that yet, but I'm wondering if we have more privileges if we have more access in the kingdom than we would otherwise because we all inherit the kingdom of god through salvation in jesus christ but those who are persecuted for their righteousness also inherit the kingdom which typically means they were already saved so the blessedness of that aspect is something above salvation within the kingdom of God. So I tell you this, that if you're being persecuted for believing in Christ, you are in good company because many prophets, many martyrs, many Christians have gone through this themselves. And the pain and suffering that we go through in this life for the cause of Christ is only temporary. But the salvation of our soul in our relationship with God lasts forever forever so i tell you this be of good cheer even when you fall into various trials of hardship understand that when we do face the struggles that christ also faced those same struggles but we can be of good cheer because christ has also overcome the world and because we are in him we live from victory we're not fighting for victory so to sum up all the Beatitudes, it is a way to have a mindset and Christian perspective. Let me rephrase that. So when I sum up these Beatitudes, it is a way for us to understand a godly perspective on how we are to live and operate in the world that we are. And this is a part of the calling that he has placed on our lives. We have several calls we have a general call and a specific call the general call is for us to be good Christians and into relationship with him he calls us unto himself and out of that calling we live in righteousness and we try to live as best as we can in terms of sanctification the specific call is the gifts and the talents that he places on your life maybe a specific job or career path or a desire that he's placed in your heart But God's general call has always been more important than his specific call. So today, live out the Beatitudes. Surrender yourself unto Christ and godliness. And you do that by filling yourself with the word on a daily basis and being transformed into Christ's likeness every single day. Thank you so much for watching. I love you all and listening. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Whole Person Podcast. I hope this helped you because it ministered a lot to me just talking about it and thinking about it. I love you. Take care and see you on the next episode.